The first reading is taken from Acts 5, verse 27. It will be found on page 1036. Acts 5, verse 27, 1036. After having been let out of jail by an angel, the apostles preached at the temple, at the temple courts, and were once again brought before the high priests. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. This is the word of the Lord. The Gospel is taken from John, chapter 20, verse 19. Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe.
believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. This is a bit special this morning because this is my penultimate time preaching to you all here. And now don't be too sad, come on. <laughs> Keeping that in mind, may my words be your words, O Lord. May we learn something new from you this morning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this is the resurrection appearance of Jesus. This is the second resurrection appearance of Jesus, but we'll come back to that thought. The resurrection appearance of Jesus to the disciples is one of those stories most Christians will have learned almost inside out either from attending church in the weeks following Easter, or in reading devotional books, or maybe we know it from its most popular character, the one that often gets called Doubting Thomas. It's easy to understand why people fixate on the character of Thomas. The easy message lies in his interactions with Jesus. He's not present the first time Jesus appears to the other disciples. And he makes some rash remarks in his disbelief about Jesus' return. This opens Thomas up to that old, oh, poor Thomas, he just doesn't get it, line of thinking. If only he had had faith the first time. Well, that's completely valid, but I'm not certain that's actually the focus of this story. Spoiler alert. Jesus sends down the Holy Spirit in this passage. So we flash forward eight days. And Thomas is right there with the other disciples when Jesus appears again. This time he is invited to put his fingers into Jesus' bodily wounds. Pause for a deep breath if you need to here. We're going to look at some paintings in a minute to see how artists from the Renaissance right through to contemporary times have interpreted this passage. And one or two of them do get quite weird with the way that they view Thomas. But before we take a look at these works, I just want to point out that the writer of John never explicitly says that Thomas actually took Jesus up on sticking his fingers into his wounds. And I'd imagine seeing the risen Christ in the flesh would have been more than enough. The invitation from Jesus to touch his wounds is likely to be an embellishment provided by the writer of John, or even in its most literal form, more of a friendly invitation than a challenge to Thomas. It's an invitation to be completely intimate with Christ. And immediately before this invitation, Jesus says, peace be with you. I've heard discourse on this passage to the extent of Thomas almost being punished for his skepticism, 
and being forced to touch Jesus' wounds is some sort of bizarre penance. But I find that theory completely incompatible with the Christ I have come to know from extensive study of the scriptures and incompatible with my understanding of the historical Jesus. Further, it's a bit of a mismatch with a God who forgives us for all of our mistakes and doubts, a God who set forth to bridge the gap between our inadequacies and the all-encompassing love of the Creator in the events of Easter just a short time before. I'm also not sure Thomas is the whole story here. We'll look at some interpretations of this story and then we'll dig a little deeper. For anybody who can name the artist that painted this one, I've got a hat to give away. <laughs> Relax, Mark, I'm not actually going to give your hat away. So this one is actually painted by an Italian called Duccio di Bonisegna. And its title in English is Christ Appears to the Apostles Behind Closed Doors. This is from the early 14th century. And this is painted in a style similar to the way that the icons that you might see in Canterbury Cathedral or in one of the more, I don't know, high Anglican formal settings. Or every now and again, we've got the one that comes out on the altar here of St. Alphage. Um, the intent of these paintings is to be a bit ethereal, a bit strange, and make you think a little bit uh, outside your comfort zone. So this one's drawing Jesus right into the middle. You've got all the apostles. You've got five one side, six the other, because one of them is missing by this point. And uh, it's a perfect sort of, well, it's a perfect sort of altarpiece. And I think that's what it actually is in real life. Um, I have a feeling this is not what it actually looked like whenever Jesus appeared. I have a feeling it was probably a bit more like, ah! you know, maybe at first, and, or maybe it was really peaceful, I don't know. I have a feeling they didn't all just sort of like queue up on either side of him and put the two fingers out, you know? Um, we can move on to the next one. This is a more famous painting. It's a bit darker actually as well, but this is Caravaggio who's also Italian. Um, this one is called simply Doubting Thomas. This is from 1603. And again, in the biblical text, we're never actually told that Thomas puts his hand into Jesus' side. That's just Jesus' invitation. But Caravaggio has decided that Thomas's fingers are right up in there. Um, I'm not exactly sure why Caravaggio interpreted the text this way, and I thought it might be fun if you all turn to a neighbor and spend about 15 or 20 seconds discussing that before we go on to the next one. Well, guys. <laughs> So does anybody want to call out a really clever answer they've come up with, or has somebody actually studied art history that would know the reason? Has anybody got a funny answer? Any, anybody, you're leaving me hanging up here. All right, 
You can sit with those thoughts and we'll move on. This one is by Hendrik Terbruggen, and he is a Dutch painter. This was painted just 19 years after Caravaggio's that we saw just before it. And this one is simply called The Incredulity of St. Thomas. It's similar but different to the last one. Oh, that'll be better for actually being able to see it. It's similar but different. He's added a couple of characters. It's not just Jesus and Thomas. But again, the same theme. He's got his finger right up in the wound. Timmy tells me it's because Italians are dramatic, but this one is Dutch. <laughs> so we can move on to the next one. This one, very cleverly, is also called The Incredulity of St. Thomas. This is Ludovico Mazzolino. He's another Italian, because the Italians love painting this scene, apparently. Uh, this was finished in 1522, 100 years before Terbruggen's painting, and 81 years before Caravaggio's. And what struck me about this one when I looked at it is it's really stripped back and stark <coughs> in comparison. Um, it shows an interaction between just these two figures. And it even puts them outside of the locked room. And in fact, they're actually outside of the city walls in, in some ethereal plane. And I think this is the one to stay with whenever we get back into talking about the passage. So that's a clue to Tom that whenever I'm done talking to flip it back to this one. All right, we're gonna move on to the next one now. This is one of my favorite ones. This is a contemporary artist from the Philippines called Ed de Guzman. He's my friend on Facebook. I've, I discovered one of his paintings. I thought it was amazing. I followed him. He added me as a friend, uh, which is cool. We live in that kind of era. Uh, this one's called Jesus Appears to the Disciples, and it was painted in 2013. Um, the biggest difference in this one, can anybody spot it? There is a brightness of Christ. That, that, that is a difference. There are no wounds. Well, he's got, I mean, he's got the little bits on his hands. Yeah. This is, this is kind of like a trick question in a way. There's a woman present in this one. This is the first painting of the resurrection where a woman is present. Um, the writer of John didn't say one way or the other if it was all men in the room. He just says that Jesus appeared to the disciples. He doesn't necessarily say it's the 11 remaining apostles. Uh, he just says Jesus appeared to his disciples. And we know from other stories that that group definitely included women from time to time. So de Guzman has reflected that in the way he's painted this scene. And we've got just one more to look at. And this is actually from the first resurrection story. This is by Lavinia Fontana, who is another Italian. And this one is Jesus Appears to Mary Magdalene. And it was completed in 1581, and it's a rare example of a woman painting notable pieces in the late Renaissance period. It was not very usual for women to be commissioned to paint. 
And this is worth, worth looking at as a reminder that at least according to the writer of John, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene before the other disciples. We can't possibly know for sure if John constructed the events this way for a reason or if it's of any historical significance, but it's worth noting that at a glance, women were regarded very much as being just as important as the rest of Jesus' male followers after the resurrection. So let's stay with this point for a brief moment before we head back into today's passage. After Jesus' initial appearance to Mary Magdalene outside the tomb in John's Gospel, the next appearance comes at the beginning of today's passage. This passage is loaded with significance for us as Christians today. So I'm going to get down to it. First of all, upon appearing to the gathered disciples, Jesus greets them with the familiar Sunday morning communion expression that we all know so well. Peace be with you. Peace is a bit of a catchphrase for Jesus by this point. Being a word he uses at least 105 times in the King James Version of the Bible. And sometimes more and sometimes slightly less in other translations. Clearly, peace is something Jesus values. It's something he hopes to establish among those who gather because of him. He shows the disciples his hands and his side, and then again he says, peace be with you. The second time, he extends this salutation by saying, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And here is their imperative to go out in Christ's name, to be sent as Jesus was sent with all of the fervor of Passover, Good Friday, and indeed Easter still in their minds. I'm sure this would have seemed a bit overwhelming to the disciples in that moment. I've done three years of training for this kind of ministry, and it's still really overwhelming to me sometimes. This is still our call today, as much as it was for the disciples when Jesus appeared and it is a big ask of us. But the next thing Jesus says, this is what makes it all achievable. Receive the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit. That thing we talk about, but sometimes seem to neglect the full impact of. That's because it's not a thing at all. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And yes, the Holy Spirit is meant to be viewed as a person. Maybe not in physical being, but in personality, in character. The Holy Spirit is a being we can form a personal relationship with. I've heard people liken the Holy Spirit's presence to being the conscience or our moral compass or all sorts of other things that include some aspect of being a spiritual sat-nav. I'll leave the interpretations up to you because quite frankly, that's an entire separate sermon series unto itself. So after Jesus gives the disciples the gift of the Holy Spirit, another huge thing happens. 
This is huge for the way we as Christ's followers are supposed to conduct ourselves. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That thing we ask God to do for us at least every Sunday that we come to church, that thing that happens early in the service, that's part of the risen Christ's intent for us all. We don't just ask for forgiveness, we also forgive others. So we need to forgive others. And we get better at that by building a solid relationship with the Holy Spirit. Whether for us that's through prayer or reading the Bible or singing worship songs or talking to other Christians, there's as many ways to work on a relationship with the Holy Spirit as there are to pray or indeed as there are to work on a relationship with any other being. Think about the ways we build with relationships with our friends or our pets, our neighbors, our coworkers. We're sent out like Christ was sent to us. And we can go on about calling to, our calling to love others and forgive them by building our understanding of the Holy Spirit. In whatever way, building our understanding of the Holy Spirit makes sense to us. So this, this is the point where Thomas enters the story. Is it, oh, poor Thomas, he didn't get it? Is that really what it is after all? Or could it be lucky Thomas receiving Christ's forgiveness firsthand? He didn't believe without seeing. And Jesus doesn't get angry with him. He gets the same greeting the other disciples get. Peace be with you. Then the invite. Okay, Thomas, if you really need to touch my wounds to believe, that's all right with me. But if seeing me here now is enough, that's all right too so long as you're ready to believe. But those people who didn't see and they still believe, those people are well and truly blessed. Then this gospel ends in a bit of a funny way. Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, but basically you've just read enough of them to believe now. You've just read about Thomas. He didn't believe without seeing first. But blessed are all of you who believe without seeing. You have life in his name. My brothers and sisters here today, this morning, with me, peace be with you. Amen.